0: At you and your platoon of Jadoon near the, that lagoon. You know what they say? One person's arbitration is another person's interference.
1: Very blurry line.
0: Beware the lone Cyberman. You're only five minutes behind someone who just had their memory
1: fully restored.
0: Better written True. better written great cliche but I still felt that that story was fairly yeah. and boring. That's all this series. You don't even have to watch it in order. Better written great
2: cliche Who cares about Doctor Who? Series twelve, episode 5: Fugitive of the Jadoon. Well, that was something, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Talking this very memorable episode will be myself. Neo from Australia, as well as In Giga from England, Looms from Ireland, and Storm from Russia. I think we've all had somewhat mixed feelings on this series 12 so far, but this episode may have put us in a mixer on the highest setting.
0: Yeah, a thresher, perhaps. Pressure cooker, a blender, just lots of knives. Yeah,
2: so I'm not sure we could even attempt to summarise this episode, Fugitive of the Judoon, but nevertheless, of course, we're going to dig into its many spoilers now. But first things first, I think we should have a little positivity circle. What are things we liked about the episode? Gig what were what were the goods here
0: for you? Uh, okay, Rapid Fire. Um I liked Jack flirting with Graham. Um, I enjoyed the the bickering with the Jadoon. Um and I enjoyed a certain characters murderous turn towards the end, including the mutilation of said Jadoon, and just generally swagging around causing chaos. Um so yeah, I enjoyed those elements. Looms, what did you like?
3: I, I liked Jack scenes, sort of, but it's just fun. Whenever you get to see John Barrowman, just be John Barrowman, even if it's for five minutes. So I really enjoyed that. Um, I enjoyed most of the scenes with thirteen and uh, our new favorite Doctor, and the Judoon are always just fun. Anyway, so
1: I like
2: them.
0: Yeah,
1: Storm. What did you like? Well, I like the Judoon. The how how they looked and uh, how they sounded. I think both bricks and uh, costumes, animatronics, whatever looked uh, great. Um, I liked most actors. I think Lee was pretty good at uh, subverting expectations from being a bad person, as we thought he would be like. And he t- turned out to be a guardian. And uh, I liked uh, Gat, uh not just because uh, she's cute, but <laughs> she's cute. Uh, I liked uh, Joe Martin. I think she was nice. It was, I guess... Best directed episode of the series, and uh, well, let's say that's it for now. (laughs)
2: Yeah, Yeah, I I share uh, most of what you guys liked. I loved uh, seeing Jack again. I couldn't believe it when we started hearing that American accent. I was clutching my head in shock, absolute surprise. I think we've known a few things coming this series, but we had no real clue on that. I mean, Barryman retweeted the trailer for the episode, but that's not that weird for an actor to, you know, tweet about a show he used to be in and obviously loves. So that was a great shock. They really pulled off that surprise, and I was very excited to see him. I liked, uh, what was his name? All Ears Alan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought he was, uh, I thought he was funny. I liked all that stuff. That felt kind of the Vinay Patel, who of course wrote uh, *Demons of the Punjab* last series, which was far and away my favorite episode of it. I thought that felt kind of like his. Uh, folksy, maybe even domestic kind of humour. I thought that was really funny. Uh, Like Storm said, the direction I thought was more interesting than the last few episodes. It was going a little overboard on the lens flare, especially in the Jack scenes, but there was a real kind of pep to it. It looked nicely alive. Joe Martin was pretty cool, both before and after the big shift. Um, She was quite likeable before, and then after she had a lot of swagger, she was quite assertive. I agree with you guys that the Judoon looked really cool. It was fun to see them again. Their voices were great. What I really liked, I'm not sure if this was so much in their Tenant era episodes, but like the main Judoon kind of got admonished by Gat and by Jody a lot. And he like would kind of pull himself back a little or he'd like bow his head and he'd like do these little grunts. And I just thought it was very cute to see, you know, the big rhino head act kind of ashamed, like the ashamed cop. That was good um what else is that about it uh, <laughs> you've run out the the effects I guess looked pretty good like there was a lot of effects in Jack's scene where his ship's flying around that looked pretty decent for Doctor Yeah, I, I
0: like the teleportation effect so much we got to see it like a hundred times yeah, we got a
2: lot of that <laughs> Barrowman looked good too like It's easy with these things for actors, you go, oh, geez, it really is 15 years later. And maybe there was a little bit of that. But when I saw him, like, I bought it, I didn't think, he's not pulling that off.
3: For me, with Jack, though, there was a few sort of moments where it looked weird to me. Maybe it's just what I was watching it on, but there was a few bits that looked sort of oh they've got a filter over him
0: that's interesting his wig i mean his hair even reminded me of david tennant in the 50th anniversary special i was just thinking that (laughs) very
2: flattened the graham and jack interactions i agree they were really funny i know it's people are saying it's getting old but i love the graham getting mistaken for the doctor joke i think it's a joke that good that they keep going back to it just because it's a it's a good laugh so all that stuff was good so there was quite a few good things in the episode um What was the episode about,
0: by the way?
3: I think calling it an episode is really not proper. It was just a sequence of events that sort of happened.
0: Events beyond our comprehension. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) The grand chippening.
2: It felt like it made more sense to me when I was watching it. And then I stopped and I started thinking about it. And then I watched it again and I was, you know, paying real close attention to it. I was taking notes and everything. And I was just, I can't work out what the story here is. What is this actually? It's just like a series of reveals that are very strangely paced like the jack stuff What does the jack what do the jack scenes accomplish it's like he just parachutes in and he sets up episode eight by saying beware a monster all of you would beware anyway especially the doctor who always bewares them (laughs) and then he basically leaves but you think oh he's probably going to come back you know in the finale or whatever that seems to be what would happen you know but chris chibnall uh talking to the mirror he had a few words to say about that. And what he said was, you won't see him again this series. I can categorically tell you that. But who knows when he might pop up again. We love Captain Jack. We love John Barrowman. I hope that won't be his last appearance and that at some point he gets to meet the 13th Doctor. So he's completely confirmed there that that is his sole uh, appearance in series 12 was to uh, say, beware the lone Cyberman.
3: It's sort of in because he, because he's such a big, big Finnish character now that the cameo really felt like some big finish would try and hype up, like, um, oh, we're bringing back the tenth doctor for
0: this special multi-doctor thing. He's in five minutes and... Check out the new 8th Dr. McGann box set featuring the lone Cyberman, <laughs> the new epic villain from Nicholas Briggs. And it's, it's even
2: his first few lines are just audio only. It always makes you wonder, <laughs> like, is <laughs> <laughs> the actually going to show up? Is this how they're getting around him looking a bit more like the face of Bo than like he looked in Series 3? But he does show up and, yeah, he's just it's, it's like he's just advertising. But the bizarre thing is he's advertising something he's not in. He's not in Episode 8. And I wonder if this scene was even originally in the episode, like you'd assume it would be because that's how scripts tend to work, but it's all on this one set and it's all just stuff that like, it has no connection really to the rest of the episode. There could have been some other explanation for Graham disappearing.
3: Well, I was reading on Twitter, someone said that all the exterior scenes were filmed in March, let's say. and I think Jack's scene was filmed in August or months later anyway, after the fact.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. So that is like maybe the most blatant, this is a really weird script and I'm not sure it's making much sense part of the episode. Was there anything else in the episode you thought was kind of to that effect?
0: Um, The fact that there's so much um, establishment of Ruth pre her her, um, conversion, whatever, Ruth as her human persona is so, so established and we're set up to think of it as like a human nature sort of thing, like with David Tennant. But once... That once she breaks the glass, that's just completely out the window. You know, we spent so much time on that whole thing, but it's just abandoned, you know? Um, I I get the sense this sort of story is meant to be done, perhaps like it was in human nature, with quite a big emotional impact, and there was none of that here. It was very much just, they just threw it away.
2: I was stunned by, like, the nun reaction to Lee, her husband, her companion's death like he... <laughs> He died, and no one seemed to care all that much, including the viewers. She just perhaps.
0: stared. She just stared at the camera. morosely. Oddly
2: bloodthirsty episode,
1: wasn't it, too? There were quite a lot of deaths, actually. Or maybe not deaths. Maybe it's just teleports, and they all pretty dead. It <laughs> <there. This laughs> might the finale. be like, Yeah, the Series 1
2: finale, they're all getting teleported off to Colos or, or somewhere. They're all just fine.
0: Or <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe the finale, we can use an extraction chamber to get Lee back,
1: like in Hellbent. And bringing him back yes
2: well he was a gallifreyan as well he yeah. got and uh, the, the ruth doctor were all gallifreans
1: they said that uh Gat and lee had uh, the same training so i assume they have to be time lords both of them yeah it's uh, it's weird how um uh, detectors didn't uh, see that uh, He's uh, from Gallifrey, even though he didn't seem to lose any memories or use Chameleon Arch. It kind of uh, doesn't make sense, or I'm missing something.
2: Yeah, there's a lot that doesn't make tons of sense there. Like the Judon finding Ruth at all, it's like we can completely sidestep the question of like where Ruth is, whether Ruth is before Jody or after Jody or what the fact that Ruth is like a very clearly a doctor calling themselves the doctor they have the blue box this all makes them pretty famous you know so much so that the Judoon and Gat and all these people know about them but like how many situations have we had before where like a character knows the doctor very well and they know like all the doctor's past faces we've had River Song of course and the Daleks and testimony from Twice Upon a Time, and the Cybermen, and the Inferarium from that series seven Minnesota. Adraxia. Yeah. And so these places have never seen Ruth. Like River even has a photograph of the supposedly fairly secret war doctor, but <laughs> no one knows about Ruth. So how did that strike you guys?
0: Well, you know, Neo, I believe it's you who always says that the show is not beholden to the past. You know, the show doesn't have to respect Moffat's law. It's a new show. It can do whatever it wants. And, you know, just because Moffat didn't include Ruth in the lineup of doctors doesn't mean she can't be there. So, yeah, I mean, mean, to be honest, I find like plot sort of uh, mess ups and mix ups and stuff like that to not even be the biggest issue, because it's just like I, I have more, we can get into this later maybe, but I have bigger concerns about what kind of story Chibnall thinks he's telling here. I have deep reservations about all that.
2: That's fair. <laughs> inconsistencies are inconsistencies. That's not a huge issue, I suppose.
3: And Doctor Who is about change so you should just stop moaning and love it. The,
2: the, the Doctor Who is about change stuff, I always find kind of like I don't think the show has changed that much over the years. Like, people like to say this, and I know what they mean. Like, we get new aesthetics, we get new writers in all the time. It's like a ship of Theseus thing. Totally different crew of people, you know, over the decades. Totally different groups of people create this show. But, like, at the core, it's pretty much the same. It's been for a good few decades by now. It's, you know, there's an alien with human companions that travels around time and space having adventures. Uh, sci-fi adventures, you know, sorting out scrapes. That stuff is all pretty consistent. So I find, like, the vaunting of change, like, a little bit weird because like, wh- what are we actually changing, mostly in the show? We change the actors a lot. We change the sets a lot. What else gets changed?
0: Uh, the, 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 the tone, I guess. Um, the tone, Maybe yeah. from time to time you'll get some new addition to, like, the, the lore, so to speak. Like we find out that the, the Time Lords have a ghost basement or we find out that the Untempered Schism is a thing and Rassilon put a thing in the Master's head. Like we get dribs and drabs and stuff like that.
2: All those things are like lore elements you put in the finales usually. I feel like yeah. every series of the show could have the Ark in space in it or every series of the show could have uh, the Unquiet Dead basically in it. And I I feel like like saying this is you know, the most adaptive changing show in history is kind of off the mark because if you can have the same structure of episode in every single iteration of it across, you know, over 50 years, then maybe that's kind of a deflecting point, I find, to kind of say, do not complain about a change happening because apparently the show is always about change and I don't really find that true.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I seem to remember in the past we've uh, advocated for the show changing more than it has oh, in the past. I remember we were all uh, wondering if Chibnall would make it a police procedural or something, or just in other ways we'd we get some big status quo change. But um, yeah, the whole change thing, it's, it's kind of a cope, because it's just, it's basically code for saying, you know, Well, you know, if it's changed, that means it's good, you know. (laughs) But, you know, it it ignores the fact that not all changes are equal. You know, some things changing them is actually maybe taking away from stuff that's interesting rather than adding to it. And I feel like in this conversation, we're just talking around the thing we all know that Chibnall is doing, but that we aren't talking about (laughs) because it's not really relevant in this episode per se. Would that be right? I feel like we're talking about the whole thing.
2: (laughs) if I'm to talk around that a little bit more, I think probably the biggest changes the show ever did was it had one season where the whole thing was like a court case. The whole season was a trial. And even in that, it still had excuses of like doing flashbacks and cutaways to traditional adventures you could stick in any season within that. But that was a fairly big change. And then we also had an era where most of the seasons were set all on Earth. With John Pertwee, so we couldn't exactly have going, you know, off to space adventures the same way most seasons did, and it became more like a James Bondy military, you know, troop esque, thrillery, gadgety kind of version of the show, which was very different than the kind of base under siege, you know, monsters in the past, monsters from the future version of the show it had been in the Troughton years, and then the William Hartnell years are. I they feel, feel superficially quite similar to like the Tom Baker and Ford years of the show, but there's something very different about the way the doctor works in those seasons uh how How would you put it? How did the show work differently then?
0: Well, it was in its earlier stages like it wasn't it you know it was not formed into you know the template that we know now. They were trying things out, they were building it you know from the ground up. The Doctor was a different character. Certainly, in the earliest stories, he is not the heroic figure that we are used yeah, to. Yeah. We see him grow into that, you know, through his interactions with Ian and Barbara, and obviously his relationship with Susan as well. You know, it's all yeah. you know, coming to the fore. They're trying out crazy things like Planet of Giants and Edge of Destruction, and it's quite volatile. And it feels like it could yeah, go yeah. any direction. It's very unpredictable, and that's really exciting.
2: Originally, William Hartnell, you know, the first person to play this character, the Doctor, he was you know, holding up rocks ready to bash humans, well, people's head in because, you know, of certain reasons. And he was very irritable and he wasn't an action hero. He was often really quite passive. But these first two humans he ended up travelling with, you know, really affected him and it started changing his character. And then we had episodes like uh, this ending of one of the episodes of The War Machines where the camera for the first time zooms in on this really heroic stance as the Doctor starts taking like this active forward you know, almost action-heroy role in the narrative, and that's fascinating because it's a new thing. And then it was in later years, especially in like the John Nathan Turner years, where the tropes around the Doctor really got codified. Instead of being something that was kind of changing form and changing tone between each Doctor, and we started getting the version of the show we still use now, which is you know, you know, the very smart action-heroy hero kind of Doctor that goes to a new place every week, has a new adventure doesn't tend to use weapons, sometimes uses weapons, but doesn't really tend to, tends to use smarts and their human companions, mostly human companions, to, you know, get out of scrapes, do the good thing. And so the great thing with the William Hartnell years is watching the show start off as this kind of meandering, ambling thing that really isn't like that. It's like these kind of aimless wanderings through space and the past. Sometimes it feels like an educational show. Sometimes it feels like this weird, trippy, sci-fi surrealism thing, like in The Edge of Destruction. It's a show finding its feet. It's a show that forms into this very set show we have later. That's something really interesting about those
0: years. I think there's something, just before we divert back to whatever the hell we should be talking about, I just want to say, those early years, they feel something about them feels sacred, quite precious, and kind of fragile. Like, if you did the wrong thing, you could easily like just kind of taint them or spoil them somehow, you know?
2: They weren't really making Doctor Who then.
0: You know, the character wasn't yeah.
2: who, as we know them, the character didn't become a Time Lord until the Patrick Troughton years. The character wasn't from Gallifrey until the John Pertwee years. This is where these ideas started taking shape. And of course, they retroactively apply to William Hartnell's character, but they're not something that they're trying to undo the character. They're just adding, you know, contextualization Yeah. to the character. So the great thing with those years, the magical thing with those years, is the show hadn't become what it became yet. It was forming into that because of these very creative people in the 1960s who had these madcap ideas and the ideas were so good they would eventually settle and collate into this show that could last for decades and decades. And fans of that show would end up running the show and then fans of those fans who ran the show would end up running the show and so on and so on. How does this relate to Fugitive for the Jadoon, though? Good
0: question. Jadoon! <laughs> the Jadoon have got us in a tractor beam. They're
1: dragging us on board their ship. And there's time lords everywhere. Everyone's a time lord. God, I hate time lords. Fuck time lords. <laughs> yeah, I sympathise. I do
0: find um this interpretation of the time lords that we've got going. Um, I said this before. It seems like it was inspired by the Last Day minisode, or just some some generic like Star Trek thing. Because rather than the um kind of mysterious time wizards we're maybe used to in big robes and stuff, they just seem to be like qu- like you know trained soldier operatives who just bum around killing people and hiring to do. and there's something really uncomfortably bland about it all like genuinely if this is heading into some sort of big time lord plot i think this runs the risk of being the most boring interpretation of the time lords we have yet seen
1: i think uh, as a reaction to hellbent uh, i think a big uh, time lord capital war episode will be I think it, it will happen because uh, all, all yeah, the people who yeah. whined about uh, that uh, Moffat era didn't uh, do, well, Godfrey justice, uh, I think Chibnall and BBC bosses are surely aware of that and they will give some fun wonky uh, Day of the Doctor uh, kind of Story, but without good parts of there. The doctor where Time Lords shoot at each other, and uh, there's Omega and Trani who are generals <laughs> and uh, <laughs> shoot uh, laser cannons and some shit. It seems almost like having your cake
0: and eating it. The fact that they're going to do some Gallifrey-related story, even though they've just destroyed Gallifrey forever, again. Like, they're having it destroyed, but still having stories relating to it. It's like, oh my god, what's even going on at this point? It's everything so all over the place.
2: There's a real sense with that. So, I was mildly kind of defending destroying Gallifrey when we talked about Spyfall. Change
0: your tune? I, I think
2: I just... With Ruth, there's a broader context for it, and that is, uh, have you ever seen that clip of The Office?
0: I said that I wanted to have kids, and you said that you wanted me to have a vasectomy, what did I do? And then, when you said that you might want to have kids, and I wasn't so sure, who had the vasectomy reversed? And then when you said you definitely didn't want to have kids, who had it reversed back? Snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap! I did! Okay. You have no idea the physical toll the three vasectomies have on a person!
2: And... You know, that's kind of what's happening to Gallifrey. I feel like every showrunner is snip-snap, back and forth, changing what happened to it. It was destroyed, then it was brought back, then it was destroyed. And what I think this connects to that this episode did is what we got here is the fifth new Doctor we've gotten in the last 10 years. Sixth, if we're counting David Bradley's new version of the first Doctor. That is a lot of Doctors in the classic era. It took decades to get that many. Here, we're doing it in much less time. I think there's a very real sense of devaluing it or getting rid of the novelty or or making less special. Gallifrey isn't as special now because we've already seen it be destroyed and then be brought back. How can we be as invested when this is happening again and again? How can we keep getting as invested in new Doctors when we keep having special cases like the Metacrisis 10th Doctor and the War Doctor and uh, the Curator and then a different First Doctor and now... This unknown Ruth Doctor. Do you see what I mean? That it's all making it a little bit less special.
0: I can't keep doing this, Clara, burning the old me to make a new one again and again and again. We are trapped in our personal heaven sent right now. I feel like
2: (laughs) if this show was healthy, it would be doing genuinely new stories. Like, you don't need to be touching on this lore. Like, there's something I admired about Series 11. It was saying, let's tell new stories. You know, we don't need to do all this. Very fandom focused stuff Stephen Moffat was doing. This show was a great vehicle, a great engine just for telling creative stories set wherever we want, in the past or future or present. And you can debate how well Series 11 did, but I think that's a great brief if you're running Doc 2 is to go, we can do anything with these characters. We can put them anywhere. We can tell any story. And when a show that can do that keeps retreating to itself and like navel gazing by going back to its own tropes and going, oh, we have a new special doctor. Oh, we've done something new with the doctor's planet. It feels gig how did you put it you had a really good term for it um earlier
0: Um oh right right I think uh it was when I said that it feels like the show Doctor Who is kind of eating itself yes, I think it's yeah. a kind of self-cannibalization you know it's it's plundering its own past and doing ooh we've got the true biggest secret reveal about the doctor's true origins and the doctor's past that she can't remember you know because the doctor's the chosen one or and there's a secret about the timeless child and stuff and, and in 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 light of bringing up moffat in this context there's a, a kind of irony and a poetry i think to um what i think was moffat's last truly great series series nine being mostly dedicated to this arc the hybrid arc that in many ways was almost a satire or a deconstruction of this kind of storyline of where we, we find out the true big giant secret about the doctor why the doctor left gallifrey and the true secret of the Time Lords and all of that stuff. And, you know, and that, and that ends up resolving with a, a cheeky reference to Eight being half human, right? Moffat was very much saying there that, you know, why on earth would you waste time talking about how the Doctor is the special chosen one when there's so much more pressing matters to do in the present? You know, when you have the story of the Doctor and their companion, you know, the actual main relationship of the show, when we can start new stories like that that we see in Hellbent with Clara setting off you know on her own adventure like you know we can do new things why are we just kind of dredging up the past and trying to you know just plunder around in there it's 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 not the sort of thing i think a healthy um franchise necessarily does it's just running out of ideas
2: does this show feel in the state where we can invest in the companions that much
0: um good point considering this like it's
2: quite amazing that this series it seems like everyone is saying including us the doctor's most successful and most interesting scenes are when the fam gets all sequestered away and like, and like put in the timeout zone like graham gets you know zapped up by jack to be on the same set and flirt or whatever for the whole episode and the doctor's getting her interesting things. Like, it's like the writers are actively treating the companions like a handicap and that just feels like... If you talk about change being the essence of the show, it's a really interesting change to basically say, oh, man, the human sidekicks are a real
0: a real nag you know they're they're really pulling on us we got to get rid of these guys and there were two times in this episode i think the first time was when um the doctor didn't even notice that graham was missing and then oh no and then earlier on no, near, near the start Yaz like interrupted the doctor and she was like oh i didn't notice you were even there you know the, the doctor <laughs> seems to be just actively just zoning out the existence of the companions it's almost as though she doesn't really give a crap about them and that's so odd it's like it's a coded version of how chibnall feels about them go on there what you gonna say
2: i just remembered something else i really liked about the episode and as i i absolutely loved health 13 was like (laughs) like kind of mean to the companions and kind of dismissive of them like at the start what was she saying like you ask too many questions that that's why i don't take you more places and then at the end saying you don't know me you know, your lives are like the blink of an eye to me. You, you guys don't know the real me. I found these, like, I'm not normally a huge fan of Jodie's portrayal, but I was loving, like, the vibe in those. And I thought it was a really interesting dynamic. It's kind of like Peter Capaldi and Nardol. Just this <laughs> re- really amusing, like, it's just funny to see the Doctor who <laughs> kind of denigrate their companions in that way. Um, but, of course, then she was super taken by the speech they made about, oh, you're the best, Doc. And so.
0: That's you, know really what that, over. you know what that reminds me of now the end of the ghost monument where the doctor had that moment where she was like full doomer and she was like I'm so sorry we're going to die there's no hope it's the end and then the fam were like oh no we'll get through it together doctor and that you know, got her mojo back you know it, it's it's kind of insincere feeling to me and all this stuff with the fam's bond with 13 being what you know the, the light in darkness it would ring so much truer if there was any kind of meaningful relationship between the doctor and the fam and they're just it's not there it's not sorry
3: (laughs) we're talking about that scene early in the TARDIS i I love the idea that every night when they go to bed 13 fucks off the gather to check if it's still broken (laughs) (laughs) yeah still broken come back tomorrow
0: i feel like 13 chasing after the master is symbolic of how the fans feel about the master probably not coming back for the rest of this series because i know he's quite a fan favorite now it's Sasha Dewan's master, but I don't oh, yeah. think we'll be seeing him again.
2: I, I unironically really love this take on the character, although it plays into what we were saying
0: again. Chibnall's
2: version of the master doesn't even... Ref- we don't know where he comes in the timeline, and oddly can he move by Chibnall, empowering fans to decide how best this would work in their interpretation of the show, while not sinking his own story down in any way. Anyway, his master... You know, there's no reference to Missy, who was... When was that on air? Series 10, 2017... Yeah, really not that long ago that huge character development for that character was and this master doesn't even reference it and it's back into that like snip, snap, snip, snap thing, you know, bringing back the master so soon and having the character whiplash back forth. It's like I really love his portrayal, but again, it's like you're devaluing this thing by using it so much. It's like the classic the Daleks aren't scared anymore, which you can call silly for whatever reason. When you use these types of characters so much, it it's like a depreciation. So there's another example. But yes, I love that master. I was so confident he'll be back in the series and I'm still leaning towards it. But the bizarre Jack thing being confirmed that he was only in that scene for this series makes me think, oh man what is Chibnall doing
0: I think I I feel like we haven't like bashed that Jack thing enough like oh my god it's just the cheapest possible return after 10 years for this character and you've got Barrowman gushing about how great it is that a showrunner finally respected Jack enough to bring him back and it's just for this worthless little cameo teasing a finale he's not in spamming some crap arc words that feel like a sort of half remembered version of RTD's run it's just like a sick parody and it's really depressing because obviously recently I went through all of Torchwood with uh, the, the Who Cares gang and you know it's seeing how Jack has now just become in one fell swoop practically a zombie character, you know, a character who just turns up in Chibnall episodes to just spout some terrible dialogue and serve no real purpose. Like, that stuff is just, oh, it's soul-crushing. Jack was meant to be a good character. Jack was in Children of Earth, goddammit. (laughs) Jack was in some really fucking good episodes of Doctor Who and Torchwood, and now he's just, he's been flanderized. He just turns up and it's just, oh, it's, oh. If you talk out the bits
3: about... Him mentioned the lone Cyberman. It could easily be a children in need sketch. They quickly threw together. <laughs> yeah. It just felt
1: disposable.
2: But where the lone Cyberwoman it could be more appropriate.
1: The uh, the buzzword itself, the lone Cyberman. It just it has such a fun film vibe. Like it's a Doctor Who monster plus uh, menacing adjective it's a long <laughs> yeah. side of it. it's just... i hadn't thought of it like that <laughs> the uh, good was, dalek uh when we watched it on stream i just uh, laughed at it uh, like a fucking maniac it's so it's so fucking stupid i don't know
0: <laughs> the naughty Sycorax. yeah i think you do a lot of these like the the sort of the the, the loquacious um uh, alpha centauri or something the lossy flitty.
2: I still, I really enjoy these Jack scenes for what it's worth, just because I love Barrowman's performance of the character so much. And it was so fun to see the character back. And he's one of the few actors that makes these, like, vacuous techno babble terms sound exciting, because he's just, like, so into it. It's like, you know how sometimes we say, like, some of the actors in these series don't seem super into it, or super believing it, or super inhabiting the world. Whereas I totally believe he's zapping around on these ships, you know, with the lasers and that he seems so a part of it. It's so much very similitude with how he acts it. But yeah, then you think about the actual scenes and it's just like crazy and hilarious.
3: It's so disorienting to see someone like John Barnum who's clearly having so much fun having it up and be in camp opposite to the rest of the fam
0: that are just- <laughs> walk and talk and exposition yeah the fam feel like they would rather be anywhere but where they are yeah i think just generally in children's era whenever an actor turns up to play one of these scenery chewing characters like you know the queen of the Scythra or sasha dewan as the master oh yeah or you know alan cumming as james or you know like any whenever one of these figures shows up they steal the show pretty much and barraman would be another one because Chibnall's era just feels so drained of humour and just, like, madness that whenever even a drop of camp turns up, it's like manna from heaven. How much
2: Vinay Patel uh, did you guys feel in the episode? Because he's first credited Chibnall's second build here. How much Vinay did you detect?
0: <sighs> I just wanted another great Vinay Patel episode. I just wanted some human drama some, you know, maybe some good, a good concept or two, you know, some emotional heft, and I got whatever the hell this was. I, generally, I'm, I don't even want to, like, speculate about what Patel did or didn't do, like, maybe he did some of the Jadoon stuff, maybe he did some of the roof stuff, maybe he did some of the Gat stuff with the Space Marines, like, I don't know, but it's just like, I mean, we all read his blog post from before the episode aired, right? He was not exactly, um, gushing about his experience
1: yes, yeah, so,
2: the, what did he say in that blog post, Storm? I know you were the one who found that.
1: Uh, yeah, I read his blog posts from time to time. He said that his uh, um, collaboration with Chris Chibnall on this episode was, um, quote, fascinating, whatever that <laughs> can mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know when he was discussing uh, Demons of the Punjab uh, uh, last series, he did a lot of, um write-ups around it and uh, he'll be described it as a very personal story that uh, meant a lot to him and how uh, being given a doctor who script uh to a writer of his field of work who was uh, previously do- mostly doing theater and uh, uh it's uh, fascinating how much less um uh, Enthusiastic he sounds about this episode. I know it's kind of yeah. uh, unfair uh, to uh, assume that uh, uh, if he wrote about it less, he must uh, uh, hate it or something. Uh, I don't think I don't think he hates it. I think he just. I think giving uh, him an episode and uh, making a arc. Uh, bullshit
2: with Time Lords out of it wasn't a good idea at all it's like yeah in series 11 like Mallory Blackman who was the main writer of Rosa she didn't come up with the idea of that episode and Vinay Patel didn't come up with the idea of a partition episode Chris Chibnall came up with those ideas he's talked to Doctor Who magazine about how he entered into getting the show on a job wanting to have a Rosa Parks episode wanting to have a partition episode and then he chose these writers for them and then of course you know they make them their own and Vinay in particular did a fantastic job with that but it's not or it, it's not always that the episode writer gets to pitch their idea and the showrunner go yep you get to write that sometimes that happens but often even if the showrunner isn't a co-writer on their episode the showrunner came up with the idea and told them to write it told them to you know flesh it out come up with their own ideas but in a case like this when it's an arc episode there's you know even so much less than that like Chris Chibnall must have given him certain briefs for to do with this episode, and then Chris Chibnall was a co-writer on this episode. And then, obviously, Vinay did not come up with, you know, Ruth or any of these ideas. It's like when Sarah Dollard wrote Face the Raven, she came up with Trap Street and all that great stuff, but she didn't come up with Clara dying. That was Stephen Moffat who told her, you have to put this in. You know, you can kind of make it your own, but I specifically need these things done. And so it's like Vinay is such a great writer you know i really really like his style and i love what he did last year or not last year last season but it's like he's being so constrained here i wish he had an episode much more to himself rather than all this
0: it was a waste of his talents like i mean you know just speaking frankly i mean this was a job right you know he was given a job you know he was given a brief and this episode I mean, yeah, I think it's fair to say this episode does not really have much of a story unto itself, and it's not particularly about anything, it's just got a job of getting through a bunch of arc pieces and then getting them out of the way, and in that sense, it's almost, um, it's got a Mad Libs vibe to it, like it's sort of Chibnall's version of Let's Kill Hitler because in Let's Kill Hitler, you've got an arc thing that needs to be, uh, kind of dealt with, which is River's first meeting with the Doctor, River reforming from her brainwashing and all that stuff, and revealing how River was, you know, <laughs> Amy childhood friend and all that things and you know and having hitler in there and a robot that shrinks people it's just kind of like moffat throwing stuff in to make it fun right and in this case you've got you know the reveal of ruth and the secret uh, origins of ruth and whatever and the jadoon you know know—they're they're placeholder you know they could replace the jadoon with anything you know and it is it's like it's just an episode that's really lacking in a point and you know i just i despair seeing a writer like vinay get used for something this mechanical and workmanlike right but you know uh, increasingly sometimes doctor who just feels like a vortex where talented people go to be wasted on shit
1: i think uh, judong needed because of the clickbait title just like yeah fucking Hitler was <laughs> needed.
3: <Hitler. laughs> Click title. That's exactly good start for the podcast. There, good
0: quote. Hitler, similar to Jadun. I mean, speaking of um, <laughs> the, the Jadun and thematic relevance of things in an episode, um, did you like? Uh, did you like the commentary on police brutality in this episode <laughs> by having the Jadun around? <laughs> what do you guys feel about that?
2: Oh, it's it's the um, most progressive episode we've had yet. Yeah, I I might dare to say. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's
2: it's it's bad for um, cops to shoot innocent people. So that was a very brave revelation of Chibnall. So name. brave. I
3: liked how Yaz was all saying, "I'm police. I can talk to them. I know how to speak
0: to these <laughs> guys." Oh my god! Yes, uh, and then and basically, they, her and Ryan went out and then just got teleported away by Jack. Like it just went nowhere. <laughs> and like when, I know, what I loved from Yaz was like, "Oh, I speak their language." I was like, "No, you fucking
1: don't. <laughs> Shut up." <laughs> You're bitching, she, she doesn't even really speak much, she gets uh, teleported straight away when she leaves uh, <laughs> the building. <laughs> You're right, that's uh. terrible.
0: Yeah, you're barely me. even trading your <laughs> for, for, for all that we joke right i ha- i am seeing people around saying that this episode had commentary on police brutality and, oh my god it's so it's so cool to have a black woman beating up these trigger happy police yes this is the this is the sophisticated commentary on police brutality i mean i loved Graham's little line when um he was like oh, i thought they were police what why are they killing people and the doctor's like well they're trigger happy police. police yeah you know and and okay um being serious i think you know the trouble with stuff like that is that basically by depicting you know the space rhino police who are an example of bad police or this is what the police would be like if they were bad and if they broke the rules and stuff you're not actually you're not really getting to any sort of real problems there you're not really getting to the core of the problem because you're saying like oh well you know it well, you know, as long as there are good cops who aren't like the Judoon, then that's fine. But a sentiment like that, you know, is utterly unhelpful because that doesn't erase the existence of. You know police brutality and cop violence, you know having good cops around the place, you know that's that's not help. sure, you know do they exist, okay, but you know does that has that fixed the problem? No, it hasn't and it's very characteristic of the whole series eleven tribunal era approach to politics and to social messaging. It's just all over the place.
2: It's like just saying something like brutality bad or racism bad that's not it's aligning your stance with somewhere, but you're not doing anything meaningful with it. There's no engaging with why is it bad and how does it arise and how exactly is this happening you know what makes it bad who is doing this who are the you know involved actors it's not doing any of that it's just saying this bad thing you know most people would agree is bad is bad it's not saying well when is it happening other cases where it's bad but we say it's good there's it's nothing like that it's just these big lunky rhinos killing some people and heroes going ooh that's bad.
0: We um, mentioned earlier the bloodthirstiness of the episode. What did you guys think of um, Ruth being a kind of more warlike Doctor than we're perhaps used to? And then flagging that up a lot with um, 13 moralising at her all the time and complaining at her for sabotaging Gat's gun so she'd um, kill herself yeah. class style. Like, What did you guys think of that?
2: I really find this idea that Doctor doesn't use weapons grating because it feels to me like one of those... Um do you know how John Barrowman talks about the golden age of Doctor Who which was him David Tennant and who else Billy I, Piper, Piper.
3: <laughs>
2: and dream John team. Barrowman, Billy Piper and David Tennant were they ever in an episode together
3: Journey's end is it that, that's the whole golden age
0: <laughs> that's done an episode oh good oh, that's point good point, good point. That's a very good point <laughs> but that's not really so much an age is it it's it's an episode that is celebrating previous ages That's like an it? age
2: I actually like this finale I like Journey's End for what it's worth but it's one it's two episodes that's not a golden age yeah exactly that's it's not an age it's you know an episode so this idea of false memory is what I think is happening when we talk about the Doctor as a pacifist and there are some great videos of this on YouTube that edit together clips from the 26 seasons of classic Doctor Who where the Doctor wasn't a pacifist (laughs) you know like they were more pacifistic than the villains, as you'd expect, because they're the hero. But they, they didn't just use sci-fi weapons, they would use guns sometimes. You know, they're not someone really saddled to this idea of pacifism above all else. Sometimes that comes up in New Who, but even then, I don't feel like it's quite as much as it kind of gets uh, talked about. It feels like it's something kind of Adjacent to the show or external to the show, rather than something really baked into the show. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, especially considering um, when when thirteen was browbeating Ruth for you know the weapon thing, you know Ruth was just threatening the Jadoon with a weapon, right? And thirteen was having a go at her for that. Ruth, Ruth, Ruth didn't shoot any of the Jadoon. She just used the gun as like leverage, and you know like. The doctors threatened people with weapons before. Like it's so, it's so bizarre how not even firing the trigger is now cause for moral panic at this point. Like it's it just any sense of pragmatism has gone out the window. It's so bizarre. You know, it's reached a point of self-parody. And actually, this brings me to something that I think is maybe quite crucial. We can get to what you were about to say, Neo. But um, uh, something that I've thought since thinking about Ranscore a while back is that Chibnall knows that he's writing a toned-down show and that in chibnall's heart of hearts and this is speculation but i feel like chibnall would maybe rather be writing something like Torchwood, where the characters are very uh, not one bit bang, and the very uh, ends justify the means, and just you know are very pragmatic, very ruthless. Don't waste time, and that uh, in that sense, ruthless. Ruth, <laughs> ruthless. Yeah, yeah, ruthless, yeah, <laughs> meaning Ruth is the kind of Doctor Chip would maybe rather be writing, and perhaps that explains why Ruth feels so much more like a lead character. Or, you know, a character who who Chibnall is interested in than Thirteen does, because Thirteen is just so so bloody useless.
2: I think now we're talking, Roof, uh, it's time where we can um, unchain a little bit. What you were saying earlier about Thirteen moralising at Roof, I want to think about the optics of this a little bit. Um... So, what's the episode getting celebrated for a lot, would you say?
0: Well, introducing the first ever doctor of color, the
2: first ever black doctor. Yeah. Bravo. And that's great. I've wanted that for many, many years. You know, even um, before Peter Capaldi, there were a lot of actors. Like, uh, they were auditioning black actors for 11 and for 12. And there are some of those names that would make absolutely fantastic doctors, like Patterson Joseph, uh, I would have truly loved. And even besides individual actors, it's just. (laughs) <laughs> you know, there is this whole huge world of actors that the show has been arbitrarily barring itself off from, you know, for all its 50 years. It casts so many, you know, white men in a row, which is just, it's, it's ridiculous, it's stupid, and it's embarrassing in a way, absolutely, that is the case. You know, I love all the doctors except Peter Davison, but there's absolutely been, just, and it's in so much media, and not just media, it's in so much, you know, of the world, just it's, it's ridiculous, terrible, bad barring of you know other ethnicities other genders to roles to jobs to positions it's really yeah i've i'm doing do you chibnall. want to get to your point what, I, what i'm doing right now is a chibnall and i'm saying very eloquently
0: racism bad yeah sex isn't bad so in the middle of a several minute long expository speech yeah exactly
2: I'm, I'm well in the tone here and so we get joe martin finally And she's a good actor. I really liked her vibe, both as Gloucester tour guide Ruth and as Dr. Ruth. She had a real assertiveness and swagger to her. And she really kind of owned the room like a doctor uh, when she was, you know, Dr. Ruth. (laughs) Dr. Ruth, Dr. Ruth,
3: Dr. Ruth, Dr. Ruth. Ruth.
2: (laughs) So that was really cool. And so obviously people, you know, feel like I do. And they're very excited to see the first woman of color as a doctor. And that's great. But I want to actually think about it beyond just like the optics and the superficial. There is a black woman who is now playing the Doctor. Awesome thing. Is she... (sighs) What she's playing is not... She didn't get a big special announcing this is the new Doctor. And she's getting, you know, all these seasons to herself. This is the 14th Doctor. That's not what happened. What we got is an asterisk. Like the Valiard or like the Watcher. Or like the second David Tennant Doctor. Or like John Hurt's Doctor. We got a footnote, an asterisk. Uh, also, this was this alternative form. You know, there was this doctor we never saw before that arose in another Dr. Jodie Whitaker's episode. And so she's a
0: stunt. She's a stunt character, basically. She's a stunt
2: character. And so, like, I kind of... What does that cake say in this episode again? <laughs>
0: uh, please just do better, for God's sake. You can do better.
2: Yes, you can do better.
1: And Secret then, what...
2: message from Vinay. <laughs> And then what is the Ruth Doctor, what happens to her most of the episode? She gets Jodie Whittaker. What's Jodie Whittaker?
0: A white woman.
2: A white blonde woman. She gets a white blonde woman moralising at her, as Gig said, for most of the episode. So the first woman of colour playing the Doctor spends most of the episode getting admonished by the main white Doctor. Doesn't get her, you know, own era or anything. Doesn't get most of the episode to herself. She's a footnote in another Doctor story. And I feel like that doesn't feel like a something to celebrate to me. This feels like a cheap move. Do you know what I'm saying? What What do you guys think?
3: Well, I, I fully agree. I think it's cheap. Like, I, Let's say now the 14th Doctor is a person of colour and they're a great actor. They're always going to be the second child. Yeah. Mm. It's not going to be this big thing that it should be.
2: Do you remember that David Tennant Christmas special, The Next Doctor, where we got, oh, this guy looks like he's some future doctor. Uh, He wasn't really. But what this makes me think of is if that guy was a woman. And then when Jodie got cast, people like, oh, cool, it's the uh, the second, because there was that David Tennant, you know, where there was kind of a woman doctor. And it's like, why are you just taking away, you know, that by this weird little footnoty minor stunt casting thing? Yeah. It doesn't feel like something I want to grab and say, yes, finally, we got, you know, someone to play a doctor in five minutes of the episode. You know, never to be seen again for so many episodes.
0: Yeah, it's Chibnall has preemptively stolen the thunder away from the real first you know, Doctor of Colour. You know, it's and obviously it's in this tokenistic way, which is like saying, well, if we if we insert a black woman into the an earlier part of the show, presumably you know, the Doctor's past somewhere. I won't make conclusions as to where exactly they're inserting Ruth, but you know, it's implied to be in the past somewhere. And by doing that, instead of actually casting a new you know, pers- a, a new doctor as a person of colour, say thirteen or fourteen. You know, you're, you're, you're. It's, it's a cop out, right? Because you're going, oh, ha, ha. See, now we have, um, now we have changed the law, and that's fixed racism. We have solved racism, guys, by tweaking the lore of the show. Instead of actually making a material like impact to change the, the future, you know, and change what you're doing in the present, it's it's crap. You know, I don't feel pandered to <laughs> by this. I'm gonna quote
2: Chris Chibnall again from that same interview to the Mirror, where he said, "Oh Jackson," only in this episode, he also says, "The important thing to say is she, Joe Martin, is definitively the Doctor." There's not a sort of parallel universe going on. There's no tricks. Joe Martin is the doctor. That's why we gave her the credits at the end, which all new doctors have the first time you see them. John Hurt got that credit.
0: I just want to say about John Hurt. When he got that credit, it was on screen in huge text. Joe Martin's is tucked away at the end of the credit sequence, at the end of the cast list. It's like, you know, it's you know night and day, really, isn't it? And when he says no tricks, like, what is this whole episode if not a trick?
2: Well, he elaborates on that. He says there will be answers to some of these mysteries in this series, but as ever with Doctor Who, answers often reveal new questions. It's all very deliberate. We're telling an ongoing story and there are plenty of things in Doctor Who that change all the time, but I'm very aware of the history and very aware of the continuity. It's a delightful thing, but stories are ongoing pieces of fiction. They develop and evolve. My job is to be bold with the storytelling and have fun.
3: Bravo. (sighs) Uh... I hate this culture of rewarding Chibnall. All the interviews seem to reward Chibnall for just doing what he's meant to do. He's the writer. He's meant to write. Stop fucking acting like it's this big, amazing thing that he's telling an ongoing story. Everyone does that
0: there's this weird level of supplication to Chibnall and the show in general just kind of floating around everywhere like not just the fans but you know the, the criticism the reviews around the show and everything like that I think people really have just been kind of lulled into this state where if we have Jack on screen an incredibly shitty cameo if we have the on for a bit if we have someone mention Gallifrey then it's like the most epic mind-blowing episode ever I'm screaming I'm shook I literally can't okay wow this is a game changer we are not okay, fans are losing their minds, Doctor Who just flipped the whole script. It's just it's fucking horrible, you know. This is Doctor oh, yeah. Who morphing into every other rubbish piece of pop culture that we've been watching slowly die. Like your dogs are coming to rat poison that was fed by Scientologists. You know, it's it's it really sucks. You know, it, and I feel like you know by the end of series twelve, when when the other shoe has dropped, we are going to be looking at uh, uh, just devastation here. It's not going to be pretty.
2: I just I just keep coming back to that cake because. You are not asking too much to ask for, uh, not just a coherent story, but an actual story. You're not asking too much to have, you know, the first Black Doctor not be a footnote. You are not asking too much to have episodes not only make sense, but make you feel emotions properly. You're not asking too much for the companions to have characterization. You can do better. Like, you do not have to be satisfied with this. The show has been better. The show has been brilliant. And I love loving the show. And I would love to love this show now, but I'm not going to, you know, act like this is okay, because it's not.
0: This is terrible. All is Alan was right. He's the new Binro. And if you haven't watched The Ribos Operation, then you'd better do it before a certain episode future in Series 12 comes up. But anyway, sorry. Yeah,
2: well, what sort of thoughts do we have left lying
0: around? I've just got one thing. Um, both the Doctor and Ruth say, at different points in the episode, the words, I know my own life which gives me the impression that Chibnall is legitimately trying to parallel the chameleon arch Ruth with the Doctor not having any memory of this um, whole Timeless Child-Ruth business. And um, I'm hesitant to say that that really works or makes any sense, but that certainly seems to be what he's trying to do, so it sure is a thing.
2: On that note of the Timeless Child and the Ruth Doctor's existence and placement and whatnot... Very astute listeners may have noticed us dance around this topic uh, earlier in this discussion. I think waiting until the finale or so for things to be confirmed makes more sense to really dig into what is going on there, if everyone knows what I'm talking
0: about. Probably, it it might be best to clarify. I mean, we've been jokingly alluding to the word Ruth in previous episodes of this podcast, and that's because there has been a leak that we have all read which seems to be accurate so the reason we're being so cagey about stuff is because we may or may not know where this is all going (laughs) and we have feelings about that quite a few feelings
2: but it may well be too early to judge such things so in the finale we can (laughs) share our (laughs) takes directly on such a thing but careful listeners may have picked up some of our takes just some other little issues from my end uh, the first is a very minor, very petty, you could say. But in *Smith and Jones*, the series three premiere, Martha's first episode, where we first meet the Jadun, when they assimilate a language of a human, they say, "Language, Earth, English." In this episode, when they assimilate English from someone, they say, "Language, human," and uh, I think that speaks rather anglocentric volumes. <laughs> Something else I thought was strange was the final conversation between Ruth and Thirteen, where Ruth just says, I'll drop you with the docks near my flat. How's that? And that's what happens. Yeah. They haven't sorted out where they are in the incarnation order to each other or something, even though they're both clearly very intrigued by it. Why didn't they do the contact thing of touching each other's heads and trying to sort that out? Or why didn't they literally just talk? like? Did you ever wear celery did you ever do this did you ever go on that like how 11 and river used to compare their diaries like yeah it's such a non story thing so in the style of this episode for ruth to just say oh you should go and then we cut to 13's gone outside like <laughs> why not why why didn't they it just makes no sense it's such a non story move
1: uh can i add one more thing if please do okay um it's not directly related to the episode but uh, it just so mind-boggling thinking that Vinay, a writer uh, who was incredibly sensible to, to not to do anything bad or offensive or uh, tone deaf in Demons uh, in his previous work, in his uh, um, theatre work, and how can we may possibly be okay with how the doctor treats the master in Spyfall? <laughs> I, how oh. does television even work? Did he read the script and he was uh, just okay with it? I
0: I don't feel like there was necessarily that much inter interwriter coordination here. Like, or at least if there was, then Chibnall was not listening to any suggestions he got. I mean, if Chaos in Cardiff was activated, I just feel like the scripts would not be getting to the point where people could offer suggestions and say, "I'm um, actually, Chibnall, maybe don't put that in. It's just, I just don't think that was happening, or we would not be getting the episodes that we are getting.
2: I think, on that note, uh, what is it our musical friend, Deadlock, said? We love
0: you, Vinay, but what can we say? I guess we kind of like the way you numbed all the pain. Indeed, but not anymore. <laughs> we loved you today, but what can we say? I guess we kind of like the way you numbed all the pain, and now our hearts bleed and our tears fall, and must die here to get us through it all. We
1: let our guards down and then she pull the road. I guess we got too used to use the hoopians and show that we love.
0: It's over now. Are we fucking done? I guess we got too used to
1: being some show that we love